It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Phil Bliss, a business visionary, and welcome to Toronto's Podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source of the great insights from entrepreneurs across Canada. Today we're going to meet up with Brad Pilgrim, who's CEO and co-founder of Parity Inc., an AI-based energy management software company for large building HVAC systems. So, Brad, hi, how are you? I, I think, you know, before we go any further, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, and what you do, you know, uh, that, that kind of potted two to five minute history of who you are. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, Phil. Um, it's good to meet you. Yeah, me. It's not, it's not every day everyone asks uh, me about my history, so... You know, I guess I'll I'll start where I started, and uh, that's you know I grew up in a very small town, southern Ontario. I uh, it was actually I just I grew up at the north of a town called Grand Valley, so it's in the like North Orangeville, uh, sort of South Collingwood. Coming from a, a small town, it was uh, it was interesting. Sort of starting to apply for schools, so I was uh, I think on a track one time to be a carpenter uh, mm-hmm. for a very long time. I, I got a summer job building houses. And uh, I liked it. I was really good at it. Uh, I was good with my hands. and I was fairly academic at math. So picking up carpentry was uh, seemed like a natural fit. But um, I think when I decided I, I wanted to go to school, uh, I was actually encouraged by my boss at the time. I, I didn't have any plans on applying for school. My parents sort of said, you know, you were on a, a path for a, a trades career. I sort of accepted that and, uh, you know, enjoyed it. But uh, it was actually my first boss that came to me one day and said, Brad, you, you've been with me for a year. You're, you know, running a, a crew of uh, five people that, um, you know, are substantially more experienced than you, but you pick it up faster than everyone else. and uh, You can communicate really well. And, you know, and he actually said to me, he said, I had a lot of the same skill sets, but probably no one to send me in the direction. And so he came to me one day and he said I want you to go home and I'm going to give you, um, you know, $1,500 on your next paycheck. And I want you to go apply for all, all your schools for the fall semester. And so I, I was sort of taken back by that. And, uh, but you know, also great boss. Yeah. 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 So at the same time, I sort of said, well, you know, if, if, you know, at the time, uh, you know, thinking, well, if you, if you think I should do it, then, you know, I'll, I'll go do it. So when I was applying for school, I, I was sort of looking at, you know, what, were my areas of interest uh you know i really i, I grew up you know again outdoors uh, a lot of a lot of time outdoors a lot of time on uh, you know dirt bikes um, out doing outdoors things I, I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie um <laughs> so you know applying for school i found the uh, aviation course and uh you know a component of that course was to get your private pilot's license uh, and my mom said to me you know, like if this is interesting to you, and I said, "Well, I want to fly fighter jets," so I think this aviation course makes a lot of sense. You know, and possibly uh, transition into the air force and, and end up flying fighter jets. And uh, I think by the time I got to school, uh, and I realized that, uh, you know, I started learning a lot more about uh, you know economics and, and politics, and uh, you know, just uh, sort of you know, I think how the world works. Right when you when you end up going to school, you it really just opens up your mind to you know you know a bit more about the world. And so I think when I got to school, I started learning a lot about, um, you know, armies and uh, air force and, and really what countries use them for. And, uh, you 
know, my political views, at least at the time, weren't, uh, I didn't really agree with that stance. So, you know, I thought about going to the Air Force and said, you know, locking myself in for four years and, you know, having to sort of be dispatched if we ever go to war. I, I, being under the control of someone just to fly a fighter jet, I sort of said, I don't think it's my path. Uh, so I'm probably going to take a different one. So I, I got interested in getting my helicopter's license, uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to go fly helicopters for the Coast Guard. Uh, and then I realized there was an extreme amount of money that uh, you needed just to get your commercial helicopter's license. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, at the time I was told, you know, your grandfather's grandfather needs to be a helicopter uh, pilot if you want to get a helicopter pilot's uh, job in the Coast Guard. So I said, okay, well, I don't think I'm going to do that either. Uh, in my school, I, I really excelled in economics, human behavior. And so I, and, and some of my teachers, so again, I sort of had this, this guiding mentor, my economics teacher, and he said, you know, Brad, you, you really seem to grasp this stuff. You're hardly ever in class. You're maintaining a 93 average. You know, you really seem to understand economics. You, you understand trade. He said, I think there's a future in, in this for you, either in company, you know, building companies or in sales. Um, and I actually got the same uh, sort of feedback from my human behaviors teacher and sociology teacher. And mm -hmm. they said, yeah, you, you really seem to understand people. It's just, it's very intuitive and natural to you. So I, I started excelling a lot more on the business side. So I guess fast forward, uh, you know, my way through school, um, coming into school, I, I got a job at an engineering firm doing airport design. Um, so I was fairly good on AutoCAD. I actually got a computer when I was really young and the only program that ran on it was AutoCAD. So my uncle taught me at an early age how to use it. Uh, and that actually ended up uh, being a very useful tool in airport planning. And uh, at this engineering firm, that was the exact skill set they needed. So I went on to do that. Um, I didn't last long there. Um, I just figured it wasn't, uh, I wasn't a behind the desk on my own type of person, right? I needed to be interfacing. Um, I needed growth, I needed speed. Uh, so I actually ended up quitting. I went on a vacation with uh, four of my buddies to Florida. And uh, our trip down to Florida, I was uh, visiting a friend that was in West Palm, going to Northwood, uh, that had also attended Georgia with me. But on my trip to Florida, we actually were going to see friends in Naples. And on our way there, we stopped at a mall. And at this mall, there was a guy selling these energy bands. And it was when uh, sort of power balance and energy armor were all coming out. And the, you know, we, we took a look at these and he showed me the demo. And I was like, wow, that's really unique. And the, the health band, you know, sort of, it was a bit of a fat at the time, but it gave you, you know, more yeah. strength and flexibility. So I said, that's a really interesting. So we all bought one and uh, took them in our whole time on the trip. Everybody was like, these are so great. They're so interesting. You know, it's uh, the demo really got us. And so I took the guy's card and I said, listen, I think this is really interesting. If you have anything in Canada, let me know. And he said, I, I, we're just a startup. Um, you know, I think we're, we're thinking about coming to Canada, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, so when I returned home from my trip, uh, I contacted this company and I said, you know, I, I think I'm really interested. I, I think I can, you know, sell this product, you know, let's figure out how we do this. So actually I took a contract job on the side while I was doing the engineering course with a dock company and I was designing marine dock systems um, for this company. And uh, I went to him and I said, listen, this is a really interesting product. He said, I don't have any money, but uh, you know, I think there's a play here in Canada. So anyways, fast forward a bit, uh, convinced him that this might be the right move. He was pretty convinced that I could, that I could sell it and, uh, and probably build a small sales team and do it. And uh, the 
so we asked for the freelance distribution rights for this company uh, for Ontario. And we negotiated with them and they, they wanted $25,000. So again, the, the gentleman I was working for at the time said, you know, I, I, th I think you can do this. I'm pretty confident in you. So I'm going to give you the $25,000 and uh, to buy the rights and, and buy the product. You know, to my amazement, I was, I was shocked. I'd never taken that type of money from anybody before. I wasn't sure what to do with it. Uh, all I was thinking about was risk, right? How do I pay this back? Like, if I'm going to get in debt, um, how am I going to get, get it back to this guy? So anyways, we ended up buying distribution rights, but uh, a sort of point of sale system, uh, we graphed a tent. And I sort of set out, my first day was uh, at a, a show in Barrie. It was very prominent days. And we went and set up a 10 by 10 booth on the street. And, uh, you know, our little stand and stocked it with bands. And, uh, you know, you know, 9 a.m., people started walking down the street and we were open for business. Our first weekend, we sold $12,000 worth of product. And it was, it was absolutely just flabbergasted. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, how did, how did we do this, right? It was actually my first time selling something. And then I think I, that's when I realized, like, I, th I, I think I'm understanding the, the value scenario of instead of time for money, I was understanding value for money. So really, that's, is that what made you decide to become an entrepreneur? I think it was. I really do. I, it, was, uh, it was definitely the, the stepping stone of really just really, because I think when you're younger and you realize, you know, you, you've got to get to focus in to get a certain set of skills and experience. And then based on time, you're going to be paid for that skill set. Uh, and then over time, obviously, yeah, how much you get paid to that skill set is, is obviously it's, uh, it's reinforced by experience. So that was my understanding of sort of uh, making money at the time. But I think when we started doing band business, I really realized there's another way to make money. Um, there's another way to, to invest the time and in your life into something that uh, is different than just sort of showing up nine to five and being paid for the time that you're there. So yeah, it was it was it was very eye opening. And you know, we went on to uh, uh, additional shows. Uh, it was actually a fairly short lived uh, business. It was only about eleven months, but we went on to do shows right across Canada, from like the Calgary Stampede to uh, you know Crankworks out in Whistler, the big music festivals that happened all over Canada. And by the end of it, over the nine months, uh, we'd done about uh, 1.5 million in sales, so sold about 1.5 million of these bands. Uh, obviously, paid back my investor, gave him a return, and then I was contacted by the Canadian entity to actually come on board and do um, corporate development. So start putting them into big, big box stores. I learned a lot. That was a very first venture. Learned a lot about it. Made um, a low barriers to entry, market saturation, price sensitivity. That was probably a probably the, the biggest learning experience I had was just coming in raw, no idea really how to build a business, uh, knew how to sell a product, knew how to monetize that, find product market fit. But you know, very shortly after we started, I'd say um, you know like nine months, twenty other band companies came in because they saw the opportunity. Uh, there was nothing really differentiating anything, so there was no really strategic advantage mm -hmm. or compelling value proposition comparing them. That obviously drove prices into the ground because of saturation. So you you learned about being first to market. <laughs> learned a lot about being first to market. That's right. <laughs> so you know you're obviously out of that. To, I mean, talk about let's talk about where you where you are today and how you got into that because you have you have I mean kind of looked at looked at your your, your profile and you you've got a very interesting business. 
maybe you should talk a little bit of just you know don't spend too long on it but just give give people a flavor of you know that's how you kind of got to become an entrepreneur and now you you founded another type of business where you ended up tell us a little bit about that it's kind of interesting yeah it's um you know i have to say it's the parody right now it's the tip of the iceberg a lot of people don't realize and, and part of my you know sort of uh, the first business story is like that's that's a lot of the stuff yeah. that's underneath the iceberg there was there was a few subsequent businesses following the van business which were uh, good learning experiences but again they uh, you know you do as an entrepreneur fail and you have to accept that and you have to look at failures as, as learning experiences so but to you know jump forward and uh, get to parity you know i started parity uh, with my co-founder in uh, very late uh, 2016, early 2017. And I had actually uh, spent about five and a half years um, post the other businesses that I started when I was younger, uh, working for two different energy startups. So one was a portable solar company out of the US. Um, I helped them um, get into Canada and distribute across Canada and land key accounts. And the other one was, uh, was a, a really important experience for me. Uh, I got to work really closely with leading team members, uh, the, the founding members, the CEO, and that was at a rooftop uh, residential solar company. It was actually just focused on Ontario first, but then we expanded into the US uh, across 32 states. It was an amazing learning experience, great growth story. And I was, I was, uh, I was really interested in renewables. And I was really interested in, uh, and this goes all the way back to the engineering mm -hmm. uh, company was, I needed, I needed meaning and purpose to get up every day. I really wanted to do something for the, the greater good. I wanted to know why I was getting up, what I was investing my time into. I didn't want that to be, you know, and not a knock to any, you know, founders out there that are building great technologies. But I, I, I didn't want to help people make more money. I didn't want to help people with travel. Um, I wanted to do something that gave back, and that's really where I found passion in the renewable industry and in the energy conservation industry. So when I left the renewable industry, I said, you know, I'm really interested in looking at the consumption side of things digitization of energy usage. And when I did land on uh, eventually buildings and HVAC equipment, it was really started by the fact that when I found out that buildings produced around 40% of CO2 emissions across North America, and that no one was really concentrating on it or solving it in a smart way, I sort of had a, a bit of a light bulb moment to say, I think that's something I really am interested in. This was also very much fed by the fact I was living in a condo at the time and we had a special assessment done and I noticed my condo fees were going up significantly. And that's really what started the conversation around parity and its sort of launch point was just understanding like there was, there's a gap in the market. It was affecting consumers, uh, obviously negatively, and they really weren't enabled to do anything about it in a smart way. And that's really, you know, how parity got started was understanding a problem and, uh, and building the right type of solution and middle layer to solve that problem. Let's just move on to why you became an entrepreneur for sure and, and, and where you are today with, with Parity. I think everyone can go look at it. It just seems to be a pretty successful venture. Let's look at some of the challenges. You know, what's the greatest challenge you've faced in your business to date? How did you overcome it? What did you, we all, we all, we all learn from challenges. How did you overcome the challenge? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's no lack of uh, challenges, so I'm, I'm trying to prioritize which one would be <laughs> the largest. 
you know, we're seen as, as market disruptors. We're, we're disrupting a, an old market. You know, property technology really hasn't advanced, I'd say, in the last 50 years. There's been different types of services and, and players enter. But I think on the whole, I'd say there's just been a lack of adoption for, for various reasons. So understanding that you're going to be a disruptor and entering into a market and really understanding you know, what that means, what being a disruptor means. I think people think of the word disruptor and they think, hey, it's the new kid on the block. Um, mm-hmm. It's a creative technology that you know, is going to really shine the light on how inefficient uh, other pieces of maybe a market are or a business are. But with that also comes, you know, making friends and enemies um, and, you know, changing the way that other businesses look at their business, um, you know, putting uh, uh, different dollars into different people's pockets. So being a disruptor, it's not for the faint of heart. You definitely have to go into it with both eyes open and realize that if you are changing the way that an industry does something or looks at something and you are you know, stealing pocket or wallet share from another business that that can be definitely an uphill battle um, when you're the, the small fish in the big pond. I'd say you know, going into that um, as a young entrepreneur uh, with the experience in the past of you know, learning from other entrepreneurs, but in a market that you know, was, um, I'd say, probably a little bit more mature. So mm-hmm. I think even in the solar days, it was pretty disruptive. But I think by the time I got into it, uh, we were sort of you know, crossing that chasm into the early majority. Uh, so it was a bit easy, uh, more easily adopted. But yeah, I'd say that that's definitely one of the, the biggest challenges was not understanding the impact that you would have on an industry, even though you are small. You know, I always go back to someone told me um, at one point, they said, you know, you may be small, but you can definitely make noise. And if you don't think you can make a difference, you know, try sleeping with a mosquito. And that, you know, always stuck with me was that, yes, you, you are small, but you can definitely get the attention of the larger players, um, but be prepared for the outcomes of that. So, you know, some of the things you've been talking about, you've obviously, you know, had some good mentors. Uh, what was the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. I was definitely given a piece of advice uh, when I was young. And then I, for some reason, I think I just, I look to it today because it was what really drove me, even you know, from a very, very young age, was someone saying, if, if I knew then what I know now. I don't know if that's a piece of advice or just a, an insight, but I always latched onto that. Mm-hmm. And I... You know, sort of a yearn for that knowledge of, you know, tell me what you know now so that I can obviously be the beneficiary of that. And I, yeah, it's like every, every time I, I sort of think about progressing in a business or personally, I always go back to that and I try to understand, you know, how do I learn from other people's either successes or mistakes and how do I gain that knowledge? And, you know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting scenario to you know realize that hey I, I don't know everything you know you don't know what you don't know and that's a big point for me and that was told to me by a very early mentor it's like it's it's you know you can go to school and be outfitted with all this knowledge and and really understand uh, you know a certain subject but 
to apply to real life, you need experience to do that. Um, and that's where the real learnings sort of come from. So you sort of have to fall within that category of uncomfort uh, in order to sort of succeed there. Sorry, I feel like I sort of went off there in a bit of a tangent. It's okay. So, I mean, just to continue on, this, kind of, this is the lessons learned kind of thing. What advice would you give Would you give an entrepreneur looking to start a business? Today's a strange day. It's been a strange three months, but... Um, Let's let's discount that 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 nudge that we've been going through. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. It's it's a different time that we live in today. We probably shouldn't discount it totally. I think it's a new age for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I I, I get that. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I'd say with maybe with a grain of salt, and and to you know sort of just address. I think the post post pandemic world of starting companies is, is going to be very different from the, the pre pandemic world. I don't think there's any two ways about it. You know, I talk to lots of VCs, lots of entrepreneurs in various different markets in mm-hmm. you know, Europe, uh, South Africa, uh, Australia, U.S., Canada. You know, everybody is is they're taking a different lens on it. I think this is short term, but starting a business now is going to be a lot different than starting a business, I'd say, even even a year ago. And if I was to give people advice, I would definitely you know make sure that people are thinking long-term. That's one thing, it's, it's very difficult to do, I think, when you're younger. And uh, a lot of people now, you know, they're are definitely in touch with the new gig economy. You know, there's a lot more people, you know, starting businesses uh, today, whether it be, uh, you know, a lifestyle business or a venture business. And, you know, I don't think there's a, a right answer there. I think lifestyle businesses are great. Uh, and there's been a lot of people have been really successful with lifestyle businesses. Venture businesses is, are definitely, they're not for the faint of heart. It's, uh, I'd say it's the accelerated version of a lifestyle business. Um, and just to, to, to distinguish, lifestyle businesses are great. Um, you know, they can be really profitable. You can have a ton of fun doing them. They can be super sustainable and, and even centurion types. So, you know, like you can build a lifestyle business that will last 100 years. Um, venture businesses are, there's really, you know, there's a couple key characteristics to them. That is one, it's, it's, it's very unique. You've identified a market that can be disrupted or adopt your product and you're scalable, right? And when you look at each venture business and you talk to enough venture capitalists, those are the, really the big things they want to see is you've, uh, you've got the right team behind you, you've got the right technology and product market fit, and you can scale this thing like crazy. And that's sort of, you know, that goes hand in hand with, uh, you know, venture capital. Right, is the typical venture capital wants the six to twelve x, twenty uh, x returns, um, as opposed to say like private equity, where they're looking for more consistency. Lifestyle business, you don't necessarily need investment; you can grow it slowly. But I'd say if you're if you're starting out in a business, think long term. That's probably something again when you're younger, you're not thinking ten years, you're not thinking fifty years. Um, but it's important, I think, if if you want to lead the company, or if you're a tech founder. Uh, and you appoint a CEO, but if you're a founder and you feel that you know your vision and mission is to lead the company, you really need to take that role as a CEO and be looking 100 miles out, two years out, 10 years out. Uh, and that obviously, you know, your priorities switch day to day and, and month to month, depending on how your business is doing. But it's very important to think long term. And I'd say, you know, a key uh, a key point would be understand when you're starting your business and the systems that you're building what they're going to look like in 
five years? What's it going to look like in one year? Is it scalable? Will it work at that stage of the company? Do you need mm-hmm. to break certain things down and build them back up? Um, but I find not enough entrepreneurs think, mm-hmm. you know, the 10-year vision now. And it's pretty key, and it's been key for me. So let's move on to some sort of what I term rapid-fire questions. Just where you just blurt it out, you know. <laughs> if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing instead? That is a loaded question, Phil. <laughs> um, what would I be doing now? Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of industries I, I have a, a ton of interest in. I'm definitely interested in, in the AI industry. I think it's at its absolute infancy. I think things have really just started to yeah, take totally shape. Agree. We haven't uh, scratched the surface yet, really. No, not even, not even close. Uh, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's still mountains to climb and, and universes to discover. And that, that excites me a lot, is that there's a technology out there that we have just no clue, but we understand the potential of it. That gets me up in the morning. It really does. Okay. Um, so I don't know whether you're a reader or whatever, but what book are you currently reading or listening to or would rec- and would recommend to the audience? Yeah, uh, I do read. Either read, do the audiobooks. Um, the last couple of books I've read have actually been uh, been recommended. Uh, I do find they're good. One was uh, Ray Dalio's Principles. Mm-hmm. Um, really solid book on investment principles. Ray Dalio was a you know, very successful Wall Street trader. Many, many years, uh, you know, really started out with the, the spreadsheets and the, you know, probably not as far back as like an abacus, but, um, you know, it's, he's, he's definitely the, you know, one of the first. One of the first. Um, so his book, uh, very sound principles, investment uh, principles. It's sort of getting back to some of the basics um, and, you know, stuff that you, you may already know, but uh, it's, it's great to have it reinforced and listen to it explained and, you know, why people think that way. Another one is, uh, you know, if you haven't read it, um, it's a great read. I think it's gone through about 50 different versions. It's uh, Jeffrey Moore's uh, Crossing the Chasm. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it's got to be a staple for every entrepreneur. There's a, an Adam Grant book uh, called The Originals. Uh, it explains original thinking. So how to be an outside-of-the-box thinker or an original yeah. thinker. It's fantastic. I love this question. Are you a morning or a night person? <laughs> I, I, I can't say I'm both, but I'm a night person. Most of the people I interview are morning people. It's interesting. And speaking about nighttime, what's keeping you up at night these days? <laughs> uh, the construction outside my condo. No. Uh, <laughs> no, that's actually what wakes me up in the morning. Yeah. Um, no, I'm a, I, I definitely I, I operate pretty late into the night. Um, you know, I, if you asked a lot of uh, people that work with me, you know, getting emails at nine, 10 o'clock at night, it's, uh, it's not irregular, but I'm usually, you know, there reading something, um, getting ready for tomorrow, um, working on, you know, strategic initiative, um, even if it's on my own for my own notes, but probably till, you know, midnight. But what keeps me up at night is, Probably, I think like any, every entrepreneur, when you start a business, you feel that your product is totally making sense. It's got the you know, best product market fit. You know, you don't know why it's not being, why doesn't every single person in sort of your market or the world buy it? And I think it's, how do you progress? How do you grow faster? Um, how do you tweak your process or 
outline or market your product so that more and more people understand it. I'm constantly thinking about growth mm -hmm. um, and how people are understanding the product that we're selling and, and you know, outlining again that sort of her Herculean effort reason of why we need to do it. And you know, it's, uh, a lot of it focuses around climate change. So apart from your condo, which we're all stuck in the same place at the moment, what's your most favorite place in the world? Possibly the driver's seat of my car, <laughs> which may sound strange. But. Interesting. That's a, that, I haven't had that one before. And I, and I don't know if you listened to the end of any of the other podcasts that we've done, but we usually finish off with this tropical island question, which is kind of fun, especially in, in COVID times, because we can't get to one. But imagine you are on a small tropical island in the middle of the ocean. There's only one yeah, phone booth and there's absolutely no internet. We drop you off there with no technology, so you, you, got, you got nothing, basically. At any time, you can use the, use the phone booth to call us um, and the boat will come and pick you up. Uh, how long do you last before you make the call and what do you do? Um, so I'm surviving on this island? Yeah. Well, I'd say it, it, it depends on what the goal is. If the goal is to survive there as long as possible, or it's to survive a certain amount of time. You can leave right away. You, you can, you can. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I can imagine the answers you'd have to this question. You know, I, I, I really enjoy the beach. So uh, I'd say I definitely, I'm going to stay for a while. Enjoy yeah. the quiet. Enjoy the quiet. You know, That's it, yeah. Hey, Brad, it's really been good seeing you. So that's some really interesting stuff there. Yeah, that was very interesting. Viewers and listeners like, sometimes like to, to get a hold of our interviews. How can they get a hold of you, Cindy? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Brad Pilgrim. Yeah, that's probably the best way. I'm probably the most active on that. I don't spend yeah. a ton of time on social yeah, networks. Yeah. Well, Brad, thank you for coming on Canada's podcast. It's been great meeting you, and uh, good luck in better times. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, for taking the time today to listen to Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters or write a review for us on iTunes. You can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at CanadasPodcast.com, where you can listen, discover, and engage. You can also check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'll see you next time.